Well, you can have a seat. I want you to open your Bibles with me today to the book of James as we continue walking through God's Word. And today we're going to be in this small little letter, five chapters, a book that was written by James, the brother of Jesus, which is an interesting take on this situation because when you think about it, if you go back to John chapter 7, it clearly tells us that the brothers of Jesus did not believe in Jesus. They didn't believe he was who he said he was. In fact, in John chapter 7, the first few verses there, uh, actually his brothers told him, like, get out of town. Like, go down to Judea. Get away from us. Leave Galilee because uh, the people down there, they might fall for your stories. They may, they may fall for your, your message that you give. But just leave here because we do not believe. And yet here we are now, and we're reading this book today, studying this book today that was written by James. And the reason that James was able to be used by the Holy Spirit to write this book, because in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, after Jesus died on the cross and when he rose again, that passage in 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that not only was he appearing to all the people throughout the region there in Jerusalem and to all the other disciples, but by name it says that he appeared to James. And you can imagine that when James, the brother of Jesus, saw his brother, who he knew was dead, now walking and breathing and living, his life was forever changed and he believed. And so this book that he wrote is one in which we find great truth and great encouragement. He writes this letter very clearly for the purpose of, of helping Jewish believers who have been scattered all over the place because of their faith. And as like many of the other books in the New Testament, it was written to encourage them to remain faithful, to stay strong. And, and the book of James is a very practical book. It's a very practical element, a picture of how we can make sure that we are doing what God called us to do. And so as we spend some time today studying this book, I hope that you will take it for what it's worth and recognize like, the value that is found here and the message it is given here because it's a practical picture of how God calls us to live differently, that God doesn't want us to live like the rest of the world, that God calls us to live as lights in a very difficult and a very perverse and a very evil place. That's who God has called us to be. And so in this passage, and I want you to turn, if you would, to James chapter 1. I want to start with verse 16. And I want to read a couple of verses here before we jump into the rest of this passage. It says here, as James writes, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from, uh, from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, verse 18 says, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, that idea, that picture there is telling us that, guys, understand the world is going to try to make you believe lots of different things, but you need to know who you are, that you need to have an identity, and your identity is that you, because of your believing in and trust in your faith in Jesus Christ, that you have been reborn, a second birth, and because you have, that you have been created as somewhat, he uses this phrase here, of the first fruits of his creatures. In other words, that we are like this, this present-day picture of the power of God, that we are called to be different, that we're called to live differently in a world that's gone mad. And so we recognize that that is what God calls us to be. Now, knowing that God has called us to be that, the only way we can actually accomplish that is that if we are growing in our faith. If we are maturing as followers of Christ. And so today, this book is really a picture of how we have a calling that God has given to us to be mature, to grow in our faith, to develop in our relationships. 
And so uh, today what I want to do is just kind of walk through a couple of verses here in uh, James chapter 1. In this letter that was written to all of us here today to call us to be different, to call us to be mature and grow in our faith. And the first thing that we see in this passage is this, is that as mature believers and and, and followers of Jesus Christ, being a mature follower of Christ, that we must have a calm spirit, a calm spirit. Look what it says in verse 19. Verse 19 says this, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Now think about those words for a moment, because he is real practical here. Like, hey, if you're a follower of Christ, here's what you must do. You must be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. Now listen, right there, those three quick phrases, if we could get that, it would change the climate, it would change the temperature in our world today. Because here's what we are all do, all, we all do. We are all quick to speak and quick to anger, and boy, are we slow to listen. In fact, we rarely listen. And if we would figure out how we could listen, then it would change everything. Now, what he's trying to tell us here is this, is that our reaction to the actions of others determines the depth of our spiritual growth. It determines who we are in Christ. Because here's what we naturally do, every single one of us. Like we are quick to respond, we're quick to retaliate, we're quick to spout off, we all want to have the last word. And yet if we would figure out how in our lives, if we could understand what it really means to listen to others, that we'd have the opportunity to help us understand others, to reason with others, and it would just simply make life better. We're called to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is impossible to reach people for Christ if we're not listening to them and hearing them and understanding them. We always are like talking at people, and rarely are we having conversations. See, our reactions to the actions of others makes all the difference, because we're quick. It says in that second verse, in verse 20, like, the the anger does not produce God's righteousness. And man, we're good at that kind of stuff. Man, we're out in the streets and out in our world, man, we're constantly coming up against other people and, and we're, we're acting and we're reacting and things happen to us that, that we don't really like or things, situations where we put ourselves in a, in a moment where we, we want to react and we want to retaliate. We want to get people, get people for what they've done. Yesterday, I was going through, uh, I know this is going to surprise you, I was going through the drive through at McDonald's. And I know, I know, it's a shock, but I was going through the drive-thru at McDonald's yesterday, and you know, I was going through, like, they have those double drive-thrus, and so you know, like, when you naturally pull up at one of those double drive-thrus, you know what happens, right? You pull into the lane, and here's what you do. You immediately feel like you're at Daytona, and you're on the track, and there's a race, right? I mean, you know that's what you do. Come on, be honest. You do that. And so, man, I'm pulling up, and I pull up to that one, one, one speaker there, and I'm on the outer lane. And right as I'm pulling up to that outer lane, a car pulls up to the inner lane. And, man, I'm sitting, I'm ready to order, because i got to beat that dude, right? I mean, it is, like, the race is on, the battle is on, and if I do not win, all life is going to end as we know it. I mean, that's what we believe, right? So I pull up to the, you know, the speaker, and he pulls up the speaker at the right minute. And listen, you know, normally, like, they're, they're, they're taking orders, like, different, like, different times. But this time, and it, it was like in stereo, in unison, I heard, may I take your order, please? And I heard it from my speaker, and I heard it from his speaker. And so, man, I'm like, uh, yeah, two large size cooks like that. I mean, really fast. Like, order fast. Like, because I got to beat that dude. That guy ordered fast, too, because I know he's thinking the same thing I am. He's got to beat me. 
And so we both ordered, we both finished our order at the same time. They gave us the price at the same time. And we start moving forward at the same time. Now listen, I had a choice to make in that moment, right? I mean, I could have gunned it and cut him off and got it, and I could have won. And listen, I'll be honest with you, that's what I really wanted to do. As we're moving forward, like, man, I wanted to hit that gas and go around him and just like, you know, got him. But here's what I did instead. What I did instead is I put my foot on the brake and I said, yeah, you go ahead, you go ahead. Yeah, I was good. And so he pulled him, you know, front and I pulled him behind him. And then I'm sitting there thinking, that was stupid. I could have won that. I could have beat him. So he pulls up to the window and he pays for his order and, and he pulls on up to the next window to get his food. I pull up to the window and I reach out with my, my card there to pay. And, and, and as I reach out with my card, the lady said, oh, the guy in front of you, he, he, he paid for your meal. Score, right? I mean, that was awesome. <laughs> Got it. And it was, it was awesome, right? So, 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 you know, he pulled away. I blew the horn and I waved, you know, like, like thank you. And he pulled away. And, and as I pull up to the window and I get my drinks, uh, two, two large side Coke slide and, and I got my drinks, and, and then he stopped, and he's sitting there in the middle of the road, and he's got his window down. I thought, well, he wants to, you know, I got I to gotta talk to him now, right? I mean, so I, I pull up next to him, and I put my window down. I said, man, thanks so much for buying my, my drink. I appreciate that. And he said, oh, no problem. He said, man, I work with Operation Christmas Child here in town, and I just want to thank you for all that you guys, the church, did. And I'm sitting there right in that moment. I'm like, what if I would have hit the gas instead of the brakes? <laughs> like last week, I'm praying over all these boxes, like, God, use these boxes to change the world. And then I cut out the dude we're delivering them to. I was that close to being stupid, that close to messing up, that close to blowing my testimony. But isn't that true like every day in our lives? Like every single day, we have situations like that where we have the opportunity to do the right thing or the wrong. In every single moment of our lives, we have the opportunity to respond the right way or the wrong way. And so often we choose the wrong way. And so James says here, guys, a mature believer is a person who has a calm spirit, like quick to listen and slow to speak and and slow to anger because anger does not produce the righteousness that God wants you to have. And so we've got to figure out in a practical way, this book tells us, like like figure out what that looks like. And so that's why that passage in in James chapter 1, verse 19 and, and 20 clearly tells us like, guys, slow down. Like, just listen to others, because when you listen to others, you build relationships with others. And when you build relationships with others, you have the opportunity of reaching others. And that's what that passage tells us, the understanding of what that looks like. Now, we also continue reading this passage, and what it also tells us is that a mature follower of Christ, a a mature believer, is always someone who's in a constant state of reset. You know, kind of like a reboot, like, you know, you've got computers at home, right? And when that computer gets to a place where it gets like locked down and it's kind of stuck and, you know, everything's spinning and it's not going anywhere, it's not able to do what you want it to do, and you get frustrated, you know what you normally do, right? You get to a place where you reach the point of no return. And then what you do is like if it's, if it's a PC, you reach up there, you hit control, alt, delete, right? You hit those three buttons, man, it shuts that thing down and reboots it, restarts it, it comes right back up and it's ready to go again. You know, if you've got a Mac, you sit there and you hold that button down until you hear that sound and that big apple pops up on the screen. You want to reset it, right? Well, what the passage tells us here in verse 21 is that we need to be in a constant state of reset and reboot too. Look what it says, verse 21. 
Verse 21 says, therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror, for he looks at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works. This person will be blessed in what he does. Now, the picture we hear, hear, uh, get here is the idea is that we need to constantly be in a position of evaluation, of reevaluating, of resetting, of rebooting our Christian life. Look what it says in verse 21 again. Therefore, ridding, ridding yourselves. Now, that statement, ridding yourselves, is not the picture of like, hey, rid yourself of this stuff and then move on. That was a past statement, like something you did a while ago or long ago, and you don't have to do it anymore. If you look in the original Greek language, that statement, ridding yourselves, is like the present state. It's a picture of like continually, like setting yourself free, freeing yourself from the junk that is in your life, the evil and the filth and all the stuff that's constantly dwell, welling up inside of you, constantly jumping out in front of you. And so the idea here, James writes, is therefore, so continually rid yourselves of that stuff. Continually evaluate that stuff in your life. Continually take the time to figure out what is going on that you need to get rid of. Here's why. Because when you do not rid yourselves of the filth and the evil that is so constantly present in our lives, here's what will naturally happen. You will not be capable of being a doer of the Word. You will simply be a hearer of the Word. That you will hear the Word of God, that you will take in the Word of God, and it will not make one single difference in your life. And what James is saying, don't let that be you. The only way to be a doer of the Word is to get rid of the stuff that is keeping you from being a doer of the Word, of making sure that we're constantly working. I read a great quote this week from Thomas Lee, and it said this, too often Christians view a sermon as an interesting moral or theological lecture, but rather we need to do something other than sitting and listening. We actually need to do something with the Word of God. In fact, Jesus said it in Luke chapter 12, uh, 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse 28, He said this, rather, blessed are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. In other words, the people who are blessed in this thing called our Christian journey are the ones who hear God's Word and do something with it. So the converse of that, what we can take away from that is that those who hear the Word of God and don't do it, don't obey, and don't keep it, here's what you are not. You are not blessed. So in other words, what Jesus said, hey, if you want to be blessed, then hear my Word and do something with it. That's a pretty convicting statement, isn't it? Because we're really good at hearing, but man, we're not so good at doing A mature believer is a person who's in a constant state of resetting, of rebooting themselves so that they're they're always moving forward and doing what God has called us to do. James goes on to say in this passage that, you know, to be mature in our faith, a mature believer is someone who speaks wisely, uses the right kind of words. Look what it says in verse 27 or 26. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. 
Let me read that one more time, because that's a powerful statement. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Now, the idea here is simply this, James writes, is like if you can't control what you say, the words that come out of your mouth or the words that are written by your fingers on a computer uh, keyboard, if you can't control what comes out of you, then uh, you are not going to be actually useful in the kingdom of God. Now, it doesn't say that you will lose your salvation. It just simply says this, is that God will have no use for you in the moving forward of the kingdom of God. And I think today there are lots of Christians today that are useless. They're Christians. They're going to spend eternity in heaven, but they're useless here on earth because they cannot control what they say and what they do. Now, the reason I think that James writes this passage is this, is probably it flows from a heart of guilt and a heart of conviction. Because remember, he was the one who was criticizing Jesus back in John chapter 7. He was the one who was saying, like, get, just get, leave town. Like, like, get away from us. We don't want you around here. Go down there. They might believe you down there. They might believe that stuff you're talking about down there, but, but just leave here because we don't believe you. And so I think the Holy Spirit convicted him because he missed out on so much of what he could have done. Think about if he had believed when Jesus was actually preaching. Think of what he knew he would be able to accomplish if he simply took the time to believe then, and he was able to walk with Jesus day by day believe in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But yet here he was, recognizing now, probably from a heart of guilt and probably from a heart of conviction, like, man, I, I didn't do that. And for so long, I was useless. And so he says here, if you can't control your tongue, you'll be useless in the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus said the same kind of thing. If you go over in the book of Matthew in chapter 12, he said this in verse 34, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. In other words, the words that come from your mouth, the words that you type on a keyboard, the things that come out of you, it is not simply just a picture of what's going on through your mind. It is a picture of what the condition of your heart might be. It's who you are internally. And so Jesus said a couple verses down from that, verse 37, for by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. Now, these aren't my words, these are Jesus' words. What you say, what you do, how you treat, how you act, if you can't control it, you'll either be acquitted, set free, or you'll be condemned, useless in the kingdom of God. And so the words that, that James writes here, in fact, if you go over a couple of chapters in James chapter three, like he spends almost that entire chapter talking about controlling your tongue. He talks about what a danger it is. He talks about how it can destroy things. It talks about how that like, you know, like that little rudder can move an entire ship and, and your tongue can, can control your whole being. And so we've got to recognize like mature believers, followers of Christ, we've got to figure out how to control what we say. We have to speak wisely. But then he goes on in verse 27, gives us like a great, like a little two-point outline of what it really means to be a follower of Christ, because he tells us in verse 27 what it really looks like for a mature believer, and a mature believer simply cares about other people, right? So look what it says in verse 27. Verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Two pictures of what it looks like to follow Christ. A mature believer 
Like, what's the definition of a follower of Christ who's got it right? What's the definition of a follower of Christ who has grown spiritually? What's the definition of a follower of Christ who is a mature believer in Jesus? Here's what it is. Two things. Number one, he said it here. Like, take care of the widows and the orphans in their time of distress. Take care of the people who are hurting. Take care of the people who are, who are less than. Take care of the people who are, who are fallen by the wayside. And then he said this, and the second is to make sure that you keep yourself unstained from the world. Pursue holiness. And so you know what he just did, right? So what James just did is he echoed what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22. Hey, you want to be a mature believer, a mature follower of Christ? Two things. Number one, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what it means to be unstained from the world. And then Jesus said this, oh, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Take care of the widows and the orphans and the hurting in their time of distress. The picture of a mature believer is this, that you will make sure that you are different in a world that has gone mad, that you will make sure that you're living for Christ in a time when we desperately need lights in a dark place, that that is what you'll do by loving God and letting Him change you day by day, and then you will love others. That you will not be a person who is constantly attacking and angry and speaking bad words towards other people. That you will not be living a bad testimony in your daily life. That you will love others and you love others by treating them the way that Christ would. You see, James writes this entire book with the picture, with the understanding, with the heart of this. is making us look more like Christ. Making us look more like Christ. If you hit rewind and you go back to those days when James might have been standing off in the corner watching Jesus be beaten, of watching Jesus be mocked and and hit, of watching the soldiers bloody his back, that James might have been sitting over in the corner kind of watching all this, taking it all in, probably a little sense of like remorse for the fact that his brother was going through this, but probably also a sense of like he had it coming. Watching what Jesus was going through and Jesus never spoke a word. Of watching the pain and the suffering that Jesus endured and he never lashed out, he never fought back and he never complained of watching the soldiers nail his feet and his hands to that tree. And Jesus never cried out for them to stop. He never tried to talk his way out of it or curse the ones who did it. You see, James is writing this book now believing that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. And he said, listen, and that is the kind of life that God has called you to live. So today we're here in a world that's desperate. We're here in a world that's dark. We're here in a world that's fallen apart. And here's what God has called all of us to be, to be lights in a perverse and a crooked generation, to shine the light of Christ into a place that so desperately needs it. And the only people who can do that are people who are mature in their faith, who are doers, not hearers, who control their actions and their heart and their tongue and are constantly a reflection of not what is on the inside, 
but they are constantly a reflection of who Christ is. That's who God has called you and me to be. So let's be it. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that you convict us and challenge us where we need it. And God, today we need it because I'm pretty sure that all of us in this room probably have been in a position in our lives where we have not honored you in the way that we've acted. That we've said words that don't honor you. We've said words that don't reflect you. We've said words of attack and criticism. That we've had a critical spirit. That we've had a heart that is quick to anger and quick to speak and slow to listen. And so God, today we just stand here and say, God, we're sorry for what we've done. But God, we pray that you would help us to to be better, to be changed. And God, if there's someone here right now that needs to to understand that heart of, of salvation that comes through Christ and Christ alone, believing that Jesus died and that he rose again, like James did, like maybe he's heard it over and over again, but, but maybe that person here today hasn't believed until now. And just as James came to that moment where he changed his heart and he believed, I pray that today you would change the hearts of those who are in this room or watching or listening. God, that they'll make a decision right now that will change not only today, but they'll change their eternity. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, our team is gathering, we're gonna stand, we're gonna sing. And as we do, if you're here today and you've never met Christ, man, I encourage you to walk down to this altar and talk with one of our team members and let them share with you who Jesus is. Let them share with you what James found out, that Jesus is exactly who he said he is. Maybe, maybe today you need to come and, and you need to kneel here because you're a Christian and, and you've not been controlling like the way you've lived, the way you've acted, the way you've spoken. And you need to come and kneel here and just say, God, I'm sorry. I've been doing it wrong, but I, I, I commit now to do it right. Maybe you want to come and pray for a family member or a friend or come to join our church or come for baptism, what, whatever it is. As we stand right now and as we sing together, I just pray that God would, would lead you to step from where you are to make a decision, to make a change. Let's stand and let's sing. Charles, would you lead us? And I, I'm desperate for you. you, God, that you continually regenerate. We constantly see you at work in our hearts. We constantly recognize your presence. 
And so God, I pray that we would do as we talked about today, that statement that we are constantly ridding ourselves of the things of the world, that we are doers of your word, obeying what you've called us to do. And that God, that you would use us to go out into this world today to shine your light of love. And Lord, for that, we give you the praise. God, we're not worthy to be used by you. We thank, we're thankful that you allow us. And so God, I pray that you would find us faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our altar's open. We would love to talk with you. Feel free to come on down. Have a great, great Thanksgiving. And I pray that you'll pick up one of those angel tree angels today. And let's make a difference and an impact. God bless you and have a good one. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this new journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Send an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, we're here to help you. Just reach out to us and we'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. If you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.